When I went on my year seven camp, I was already pretty nervous, right? Because you're in year seven, I didn't know anyone, and we got divided into groups, and I was put in a group with no one I knew. So I was so nervous. But I was even more nervous. We were going around, we were doing the activities, and we got to the part where we did a giant swing. Now, I don't know if you've done the giant swing before, but I stood there and I looked at it. I'd never done it. And I immediately felt terrified. So what happens is you get strapped into a harness and then they clip you to a rope and then they hoist you into the air like 15 metres up in the air and you are dangling there just by this rope and then you pull in a rope and you would just drop to the ground and then you swing across until you eventually swing to a stop. So I remember standing there and I was looking and I was like, I feel so sick right now, like physically sick and... I didn't want to do it, but I wanted to look cool. So I was kind of like, what do I do? And in my mind, I'm a bit of a warrior. And I was like, what if the rope breaks? Like, what if I go up and then halfway through, I'm like the one in a million person that the rope breaks for? Or what if the, like, the actual clip breaks? Or what if I get halfway up and then I start crying in front of all these New Year's 7 people I'm trying to impress and they have to pull me back down, which in my mind I thought would probably be worse than the rope breaking. I was so scared. So looking back, it's normal to be scared of heights, which is what I tell myself because I'm still scared of heights. But to get in the harness and to be hoisted into the air, I needed faith and I needed humility. So I needed faith in the campsite I'd been to. I needed faith in my harness. I needed faith in my clip. I needed faith in my rope. And I needed to swallow my pride and take a risk and to risk crying in front of my year seven friends, to risk being scared and to be humble enough to give this rope swing a go. So we're starting our series Change tonight, which I'm really excited about. And I'm going to talk about how Jesus interacts with people, how they interact with him, and how I think this shows that faith and humility are a key to transformation. So tonight, I'm looking at Mark 7, 24 to 30. So Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity entire. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know about it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. So she went home and she found her child lying on the bed, the demon gone. So Jesus enters a place called Tyre. And for some reason, he wants his presence kept secret, um, which I think is kind of strange because we're seven chapters by now into Mark. And Jesus has healed paralyzed people. He's healed shriveled hands, he's calmed the storm, he's raised the dead, and he's like, no one tell anyone, which I don't understand. But there are crowds of people obviously following him everywhere. And so when Jesus enters Tyre, this woman obviously hears about it. So she finds Jesus where he is, and she goes to him, and she falls at his feet. Now, this woman is a Greek born in Syrian Phoenicia. And it's important to know that she's a Greek because Jesus is not. So he's Jewish and a Jewish rabbi at that. And so a Greek woman and Jewish religious men would never mix, culturally unacceptable. And the Phoenician people were wealthy merchant people, and so we can kind of assume that 
She came from a background that was maybe wealthy, educated, advanced, and had a lot of power, um, those people, over others in the area. Not someone who would necessarily beg. And so it should make us wonder, why is this woman coming to seek out Jesus? The reason why is she's desperate. Her little daughter is possessed by an impure spirit, Mark tells us. And what this means, whether it's physical or emotional or real, like, demon, who knows, but what we can imagine is this must be so distressing for this mum. Imagine seeing your daughter suffer and struggle. You can imagine that she's tried every option. She must have sought out every specialist. She must feel helpless and shamed and despairing. And so she hears about Jesus and she seeks him out. I think desperate people seek out Jesus. And so that makes me think, are we desperate? Is there something in your life that you feel like no one can fix or you can't solve? Do you look at the state of this world and just feel despair? Is there a prayer that you keep bringing to God but it hasn't been answered or a mountain in your life that you think is impossible to move? I hope so. Because I know for me... When I'm that desperate, that's when I actually turn to Jesus. When I finally realize, oh, I can't actually fix this myself. Oh, I'm not actually in control. I don't have all the knowledge and the power. I think that's how this woman felt. And that realization of her powerlessness drives her to Jesus. God tells us so many times in the Bible that we need to rely on him. In Exodus 14, 14, he reminds his people, the Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. In Psalm 118, 5, David says, when hard pressed, I cried to the Lord and he brought me to a spacious place. It's actually in the realization of our powerlessness, our desperation, our need that we seek out Jesus. I believe that's one way that God turns hard things in our life for good. That in these circumstances, when we need him, he shows us that. And so like this woman, we need to seek out Jesus. What I love about her is she had no pride. She humbled herself from whatever position she was in. She emptied herself to Jesus, completely lowered herself to him, cried out for mercy. And just like her, I'm reminded that I need to empty myself of my pride, or my self-righteousness, of hypocrisy, and I need to come to Jesus with empty hands and nothing but a request for mercy as well. So this Greek woman, she begs Jesus, would you please drive this demon out of my daughter? And Jesus has a very surprising response. In fact, I have a very vivid memory. I read this verse as a teenager and I thought, you would be so stupid to preach on this verse. I was like, if I was a writer of the Bible, like, I would just left that one out. Do you know what I mean? I was like, oh, Jesus calls a woman a dog. I just, I won't mention that part. But it's in there and I'm preaching on it. So Jesus looks, I spoilt it, at this woman in her state of vulnerability. And he calls her a dog. A dog move. So first, let the children eat all they want, he told her. For it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. What's he saying? In Matthew 15, it actually tells the same story in a slightly different way, but Jesus says something else first. He says to the woman, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. So the mission originally of the Israelites, God's chosen people, is he chose them as his people to be his representatives on the earth. 
He wanted them to be the people that represented him, showing God's light and love to other nations. But the Israelites, if you've read the Old Testament, did a pretty bad job of it in many ways. So Jesus, the son of God, he comes to earth instead as a human to be what the Israelites could not be. He obeyed God in every place that Israel disobeyed. And he was what was promised originally to the Jews, the promised Messiah. So Jesus comes and he has come to bring Israel to him. And that's why he tells the woman that he's come for the lost sheep of Israel. They're his priority, who he was originally promised to. They're the ones that get Jesus' attention first. Because Jesus respects God's salvation work. That was the plan God had from the beginning. But even though Jesus had a clear order and mission for his gospel ministry at the beginning, in Matthew 7, 7, it says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. And so God has a plan, but he actually mysteriously invites us to be involved. He lets himself be willing to respond to our passionate pleas, to the plea of this woman and to our pleas. And so Jesus is ready to respond, even though it's not his original mission. So the woman is called a dog, but she doesn't turn away from God. Lord, she says, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. She doesn't erupt with indignation and pride. She's not like, oh, that is so rude. Like, how could you? She actually calls Jesus Lord. She acknowledges who he is, and she shows faith and humility in her response. Because she knows even a tiny bit, even a crumb of God's power is enough for her. She knows that's all she needs. I think she's filled with faith. That's how she knows. In Hebrews 11.1, 1, it says, Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So this woman has no guarantee that Jesus will or won't heal her daughter. He's a foreigner to her. She doesn't really know him. He hasn't healed everyone in the past, and she's not of his background. So why would, we want, why would he want to help her? But despite those questions, she's still filled with faith. This faith helps her look past the barriers of those questions, of what could hold her back, to look to what could be. The faith gives her strength to reply, and it is because of this faith that Jesus heals her daughter. Because of her faith. Think Jesus is prompted to act because of her faith. It's really interesting to me that at the beginning of Mark 7, um, Jesus is actually talking to the Pharisees and he's talking to them about how they trust in human traditions rather than God. So he says, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain, but their teachings are merely human rules. So the Pharisees were part of the right people group. They should have been people filled with faith. They were the religious people. They knew everything. They should have known God. But they don't have the faith. In fact, Jesus says that their hearts are far from him. But this woman, who was from every difference, who was not originally part of the chosen people, the Israelites, she seems so unlikely, but she is the one who has faith. Because faith is more than intellectually believing in God or believing the Bible. It's more than understanding everything about Christianity. It's more than coming to church. Faith is about knowing God, knowing who he is, and knowing that before God we are in desperate need of his mercy. And before God we are actually dogs. We are so lowly and he is so high. And that only his grace and repentance can save us. And this woman knows that. And her faith is enough that when Jesus says, 
Go home, your daughter is healed. She takes him at his word. She immediately gets up, goes home and finds her daughter healed exactly as Jesus said. See, I don't think I'm always filled with this faith. I was thinking about this recently and when it comes to prayer nights, I know about you, but I feel a bit uncomfortable. Like I believe in prayer and I think it's terrifying. And whenever it comes to prayer, I like start feeling all like uncomfortable and I kind of feel like I'm freezing and I'm always like, do you know what? I just don't think this prayer is for me. Do you know what I mean? So people with big problems or maybe I'll get prayer, but like not tonight, like maybe another time in the future. I'm like trying to make all these excuses why it's not my time to meet with God, why it's not my time to have faith, not my time to have humility. But at the same time, I really believe in the power of prayer. I believe that God wants to do miracles. I think I have seen him do stuff. I've seen him answer prayer. And so I'm holding this tension in me that I don't want to step out, but I believe God can do it. And maybe that's the same for you. Maybe those are challenges that you face. Do you have faith? Do you believe that God can or even wants to bring transformation in your life or in other people's lives? Because what Jesus asks for us is not perfection. He doesn't say, I will heal you, I will help you. If you're really good, if you're really religious, if you do all the right things. No, he just says, trust in me. Have faith in me. Know that it's Jesus that's going to do it, not you. But we still need to come to him. I think some of us here, absolutely including me, need to start bringing things to God instead of trying to deal with stuff on our own. And to do that, I think we need to get to know God better, spend more time with him. Because the more time we spend with God, the more we know him. And the more we know God, the more I think we'll have confidence in his character. And that will build faith. We'll be able to say to ourselves, yes, he is a good God. Yes, he wants to save me. Yes, he wants to heal. Yes, he wants to radically change my life from the inside out. We need to know who can help us. We need to bring our problems to Jesus, to call on him, to say, Jesus, please have mercy, and I know you can do it. See, Jesus didn't just come for the Jewish people. In Isaiah 49, 6, God prophesies about Jesus. It is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light to the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. This is saying that Jesus is here for us too, not just the Israelites, not just that woman, but he is our light and he is here to heal and change our individual lives. I think if we want to see transformation, God asks us to have faith. And I think we grow our faith by acting on it, by getting uncomfortable, and by stepping out. So... With faith, let's ask Jesus for what we need. Let's let the faith fill, up with, fill us with courage and hope to do what's scary, to persist and to trust God in situations that might not logically make sense. Let's let that faith give us persistence and humility to keep asking and to get on our knees instead of being filled with fear and pride. Because who knows what God can and will do when we come to him with that attitude of faith and humility. Because through Jesus, faith and humility are the key to transformation. Now, in case you're wondering, I got on the big swing. I wanted to vomit and I prayed the whole way up and screamed the whole way down. But when I got to the top and I hung there terrified, it didn't drop me. And I was really glad I went up. And I was glad I did that. And I think that's 
the same feeling we'll have when we can step out with faith and humility. So will you pray with me? Jesus, we believe in you. We don't always trust you of faith, but we do believe. And so we ask you, Jesus, to please increase our faith. Help us to be like that woman and to come to you with open hands, believing that you can do it and you will do it. Thank you that your grace for us is abundant, it is more than enough, and that through your work on the cross, we are no longer separated from you. Help us to, do, to believe that, Jesus, you are for us. Help us to believe that you see us individually and you call on each of us to step out and with faith and humility to ask and persist for what we need. And we know, God, that you will have a loving response back. Give us faith and humility and let us see the transformation we plead, God. Amen.